0: First things first, is everyone in the room? Everyone here, you're familiar with covenants. You have them all the time and, and with everyone. You have you have different ways that you deal with people. That's what covenants are. Like like Pastor said, it's ways that you engage people. It's an agreement. It's a bargain. It's a protocol. It's um, it's a promise. Um, it's a way that you interact with people. So I have a specific agreement with August. She's my wife. And in that agreement, I have given myself to her in a way that I would not give myself to anyone else. And it's all because of the type of agreement. When you have a specific type of agreement, that particular relationship now takes on a different entitlement. So it's the agreement that dictates the entitlement. Okay, so we've come into an agreement to be what we call spouses. So I've taken on a different entitlement based on that particular agreement. Um, even with friendships, friendships is a type of agreement. In John 15, Jesus said, okay, apostles, I'm no longer calling you servants. But I'm calling you friends. Why? Because servants don't know the master's plan. But I've revealed it to you. So because I revealed to you these types of things, it's changed our status. It's changed our agreements because in Scripture, in Scripture, friends are seen. friends are a representation of the person. So, if you remember the story of the centurion soldier, a lot of people read it from Matthew chapter 8. But if you look at Luke, Luke's a different account. And in Luke, the centurion never came to Jesus. He sent some Jews to Jesus initially. Once Jesus uh, had gotten halfway to his home, then the Bible said the centurion sent his friends. And if you look at the scripture, the friends. They didn't speak as if they were friends. They spoke as the centurion. They said to Jesus, Jesus, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. But it wasn't their roof. It was their friend's roof. But because they had this connection, they were seen as one. Just like your connection now with God. Because of the type of agreement that God has made with his son. And when you say yes and come into that agreement... You're now seen through Jesus. So the Lord no longer sees us the way that we are. He no longer sees us the way that we were. He now sees us through the agreement, the covenant that he made with his son. You have never been under the Ten Commandments. You've never been under Moses. You've never been under the Old Testament. That was for the Jews. You never had to go outside and kill an animal for your sins. You never had to go to a high priest. You didn't receive Mount Sinai. You were Gentiles. Gentiles didn't have that agreement with God. So God dealt with the Gentiles completely different. When God wanted to convict the Gentiles, He didn't use the Ten Commandments, He used their consciousness. When Paul came to the Gentiles and preached to them, He didn't preach Mark, I mean, He didn't preach Moses, He didn't preach David, He didn't preach Elijah to the Gentiles. They wouldn't have known who those people were. If Paul would have mentioned Jesus to the Gentiles, they wouldn't have known who he was. So Paul said he had to use creation itself, Romans chapter 1. He said creation itself is proof that God exists. It's a manifestation of his Godhood. And he used man's consciousness that even if you never read a scripture, every person in the room hears God. Because he speaks to man primarily through their conscience and not through gifting. Amen. So the fact that you see $100 on the table, you know it's not yours, and no one else is in the room, and you go to grab it, and you hear this this tug, you feel this unction, that's 100% God. And you don't need a list of scriptures to tell you that that's wrong. Something instinctively in you is saying, that's wrong. And this is what he means that he's put his law in people's heart. So how does God judge the world? How is God just to judge the world? If God didn't speak to every single person, he would be unjust on the day of judgment to judge people that he hasn't spoke to. So how does he guarantee everyone hears him in their conscience? That's new covenant. This is how he primarily speaks to you in the new covenant. This is how he spoke to us before he established the Mosaic covenant. So... From from Genesis. So you have you have Adam from Adam to Enoch is a thousand years from Enoch to Abraham is a thousand years from Abraham to Solomon is a thousand years. And from Solomon to Jesus is a thousand years. From Enoch to Moses, you have this period. Let's say Moses starts here and you move forward, but you have this 2000 year gap before you get to Moses and the Ten Commandments. So here's my question. You have no Bible. You do not have the Holy Spirit in people. He's left people. You do not have high priest. You do not have a pastor, an apostle, a prophet. You don't have any of those things. How in the world is God communicating with man with no Holy Spirit in them, with no pastor, no high priest? How is he talking to these people? How are they able to be led by him? How how does Abraham know what sin is when when Paul says that through the law is the knowledge of sin? It sounds like you have to have the law in order to know what sin is. But that's not what Paul was saying, because the first time you see sin mentioned is with Cain and Abel. When God tells Cain, hey, sin is at the door and its desire is for you. How does Cain know what sin is if there is no law? It's something in you that already knows. So you have this whole 2,000-year period where God is dealing with man simply by their conscience. And it's the dispensation of Abraham. So then the law kicks in, the Ten Commandments kick in, and now people get, get used to God dealing with them through letters, not consciousness, not in their heart. And so they, they try to have an external relationship with God. But when God wants to bring salvation to the whole world, He removes the law and says, No, 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 no. We're going back to a higher order, your consciousness. You can come here and pretend like you don't know what we're talking about. But when you get in the car alone, when you get by yourself, you know what's right. So Paul said in Romans 9 1, He says, I speak the truth to you. I do not lie. How do you know, Paul? My conscience bears witness in the Holy Ghost. You can't even serve God well without a clear conscience, even though you have the Holy Spirit. So you have to have your conscience clean from dead works in order to serve the living God. So the worst thing you could do is violate your conscience. Because that's you trying to quench the voice of God in your life. Then you will need a prophet. Then you will need someone to intercede for you. Then you'll read the Bible and not understand why you can't hear God. You violated him in your heart. 1 Timothy 1.5 Now the goal of all instructions is love, which comes from a pure heart our sincere conscience and undefiled faith. So you have to have your conscience in this place, and this is just a part of the New Testament. It's a part of how God deals with us. But here's here's just the one part I just want to lay down. I don't understand how we as a church have so much mixture. We've mixed the old with the new. And that's the, listen, the only way you could be condemned is if you have a bit of law in you. Because there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. So the only way that you can actually have guilt, shame, and condemnation is if you have a little law working in your heart. People think it's honorable to say, oh, I'm hard on myself. That's very pharisaical. Because if you're hard on yourself, what happens when you do good? You celebrate yourself and you think it's you. And it's impossible for it to be grace because it's you. So it sets you up for pride and then you miss the mark and the Lord's like, I forgive you. And you still need three days to recover because you're so disappointed in you. So it's a soulless Christianity and not a spiritual one. You're being led by your soul, your will, your emotions, instead of by the spirit. So the new covenant is absolutely everything. It's everything. Um, Psalms eighty-nine thirty-four. This is what God says. He says, I will not break my covenant. Nor would I alter the words that have come out of my lips. So the only thing God won't break is his covenant. So if my prayers, my desires aren't in line with God's covenant, he has permission to break that. Because the only thing he's vowed to is his covenant. Are you guys with me? So you guys know this, there's seven covenants in the Bible. You got the uh, Adamic covenant with God and Adam. You got the Abrahamic. You got the Nohamic. You got the Mosaic, the Palestinian covenant, the Davidic covenant, um, Mosaic. You got the New Testament covenant. I think I just named eight by name two the same. But you have these different covenants in the scriptures, and all of them just reveals the nature of God to be consistent. It's it's how he deals with us. Here's the other part. Are you guys okay? Okay. I'm getting my mojo going here. Um, Here's the other part. Not only does God deal with you by the covenant, but Lucifer or Satan deals with you by the covenant. Have you ever thought about this? Why didn't Lucifer convince Eve or Adam, to kill each other in the garden. Because I'm like, Satan, if your job is to steal, kill, and destroy, and you want to destroy humanity, you only have two people on the earth. So just kill one and there's no reproduction. But he couldn't deal with us that way. Because that wasn't the agreement that we had with God. The agreement that we had with God was... You shall not eat from the tree. And the day you eat from the tree, you're going to die. So Satan says, oh, that's my agreement too. Because that's the way I'm to deal with them to get them out of their covenant with God. If I can get them from being covered, they'll be uncovered. So they ate and they were So the Lord had to cover them again as a sign of a new covenant that would appear. But it was a picture of them no longer being covered by God. And it's the same thing today. When Satan wants access to your life, he has to draw you outside of the covenant. Because there's nothing covering you. There's nothing to protect us. Are we together? Okay, so now here's the amazing thing. Nothing can separate you from your covenant with God. However, but you can break fellowship. So I have my wife, and we're forever, we're married. Like, that's it. it that's the only option. We're married. But me and my wife can stop fellowshipping. Fellowship it means to communicate, means to, you know, to exchange life, to be intimate. She can live in the bedroom, and I can live in the living room. Still in relationship, still married, still have the status We're not in fellowship. There's no life flowing in our situation. So you could come to church and still not have life flowing. You you and I have to deal with God according to our agreement. It works in our best interest that way. That's where all the blessings and the favor of God is. It's in our covenant. It's in our agreement with God. Remember, the devil deals with us Also, according to the agreement, the Lord tells you you're righteous. He does his best to tell you that you're not. The Lord tells you you're forgiven. He does his best to convince you that you're not. This is the term anti-Christ. It's against your covenant in Christ. It's an anti finished work assignment against us. This is why we hold on to our faith. We fight the good fight of faith. We look to live in what Christ has established for us. So the more we engage with God according to the covenant, the more it insulates us and allow us to establish the authority God has given us here on the earth. Amen. So everything is about the covenant. Everything is about the agreement. Everything is about the partnership. Amen? Amen. 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 So look, turn to a neighbor, just high five them and say something to them, something. <laughs> okay, so a parable. So a lot of Jesus' ministry was him telling parables or allegory. Parable or allegory is just a picture, a poem, um, or a story to communicate something to you, but it has to be interpreted because in it is a mystery. It's a secret message in the mystery. It's in what he's revealing, when he's talking. There's a hidden message in it, so you got to decode it, right? And so Jesus gets approached if you go to Matthew 9 verse 16 Matthew 9 verse 16 I think we have that verse here, that passage. I give, give you John two. Oh, I sent you two. Okay, that's cool. We we'll just we we'll just read it. It's all good. Okay, Matthew, now you guys there? Okay, we're gonna start at verse twenty-two. Let me get here. <clears throat> And it reads, actually, I want to do verse, let's do verse 14, Nine fourteen. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, well, let me pause right here. All right, so we have, I see some young people here. So if you're, if you're, all of you guys are young. I, I felt stones started to arrive. If you're, if you're, if you're 20 or younger, just raise your hands. Okay, so I want to talk, I want to make sure everyone can get this. Is this cool? Can I be myself? Is that Okay. All right, so all right, so the disciples of John comes to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples, they don't fast at all? Now, think about this. Check this out. The Lord just celebrated John. He just said, listen, out of all the prophets that ever existed, none of them, was his greatest, John. He's the greatest one. And they're like, wait a minute, he didn't, he didn't depart no sea. He didn't outrun any chariots. He didn't do any miracles at all. And Jesus said, yeah, but he's the greatest. Why? The truth that he proclaimed. No one else preached the kingdom but John. So you see, God, how he values truth over miracles. Amen? So John is here. And he's preaching, and John now, I mean, if I would have heard that, I would have been like, yeah, I am the best. Yeah, I I am the greatest. So John has disciples, and now these disciples come to Jesus, and now they compare Jesus to John, who's the best. And they say, Jesus, John, and his disciples fast, but your disciples don't fast. Now, John is still under the Old Testament. He's still under the Old Covenant. He's still under Moses. He's still under Elijah. He's still under Elisha. So his fasting would be like the fasting of the Old Testament. It would be like the Daniel fast, right? 21 days. Or the other Daniel fast, 10 days. It would be like Moses' fast, 40 days. Or David's fast, 40 days. Or Elijah's fast, 40 days when they were all fast to get God to come in. This is how they were fast. Oh, Lord, rend the heavens and come down. Oh, God, we need you. Come and save my family. And it was like they were crying out from afar. Oh, God, come was their fast. So now they come to Jesus with the same mentality, and they say, Jesus, why aren't your disciples Fasting like us, like Moses, like David. Why aren't they doing those things? So Jesus gives them a parable. In the parable, there's a hidden message. This is actually, if you study the Bible chronologically, this is Jesus' first parable, his first message. Now check out what the Lord said. He goes and says, verse 15, And Jesus says to them, Can the friends, if you have your Bible, circle circular, underline friends, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom, underline bridegroom again, the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. So at this point, Jesus is calling his apostles friends. But he's calling himself a bridegroom. You guys with me? So my wife used to have, she used to like really be in darkness. Because I was a friend and I tried to date her and she told me no 32 times. (laughs) So I knew she needed deliverance because she didn't see the light, you know what I'm saying? She couldn't see the light. But she had me as a friend. What's a friend? A type of covenant. A type of agreement. Listen, I call you when I got stuff going on with boys. You tell me what men are thinking. You be here for me. You pray for me, okay? And I'll do the same for you. You can talk to me about girls. She tried to hook me up with some of of her friends. I tried to hook up with some of my guys, not the good-looking ones. You know what I'm saying. You (laughs) got to hook that up. You got to hook that up now. (laughs) But we did that because we're friends, and that was the nature of the friendship. So Jesus is calling his apostles friends. But wait a minute, Jesus. You're also calling yourself a bridegroom, which means you have to have a bride. And at this time, your disciples aren't your bride. You're calling them friends. They're in the friend zone, friend status. Okay? Okay? But Jesus begins to prophesy. He says, listen, but there's a day coming when the bridegroom will be taken away. Then they will fast. But what happens when the bridegroom is taken away? Their status change. They're no longer in the friend zone. They actually become the bride. Right? So when they fast, it won't be the same agreement the Lord had with Moses, the Lord had with Daniel, the Lord had with Elijah. It would be a totally different agreement. So the Lord wouldn't even allow his disciples to fast because he didn't even want to train them how to date him. He only wanted to prepare them to be a wife. It would be a whole different way that God deals with man. And he wanted to make sure that he didn't groom them according to the way that God used to deal deal with us. So he didn't even allow them to fast. Are you guys with me so far? Okay, we'll keep reading. Verse 16. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse. Do I have any ladies here? All the ladies say, hey. Hey. I have a question, ladies. (laughs) If you go to the mall and you buy this beautiful dress, nice skirt, don't you need new shoes too? I yeah. oh, said, so, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, of, of course. You can't wear those old heels, those old shoes with that new dress. Right. Now the men, we can. Okay? He said, yeah. And man, he got he got my back. So when Jesus was talking to, to the apostles, he really, he was really want, he wanted he was talking to y'all, the women. He said, the women don't understand this. But he said, You can't take something old and put it on something new. Watch his language. He said, Or, or the tear is made worse. What is a tear? When something's torn, what does that mean? It's ripped. It's damaged. It's not holed. It's unsuitable. He's using this parable to explain the Old Testament. It's a garment that has a tear in it. You can't wear it. And he says, I'm not taking what I'm doing and putting on something that's damaged. He's not talking about just a garment. He's talking about the way God dealt with people. He said that way was broken. Because you can still come before him and be broken. Your sins weren't removed, they were just covered. They, they're still there, but it's just covered. And after a year, they become uncovered. And you're reminded again that you committed fornication, adultery, that you lied. That you used to be this. You're reminded over and over again. And it's how a lot of people still live. They still live with torn garments. Because God is telling you that's not who you are. It's not who you are. And we still pray about it. Well, Lord, I just want to make sure, so I'm just asking you to forgive me again. And we think it's humility. And it's proof we need a change of clothes. And they wear the torn clothes because they feel unworthy. They don't feel like they qualify for the outfit because they're still judging themselves based on their record. But God, I did this. I did that. I did this. So, pastor, if I serve at the church, don't let me preach. I don't qualify to preach. Just let me clean the restrooms because that's that's why that's my value. The restroom based on what I've done. That's not in Christ at all. That's that's not in Christ at all. Being a Christian means you no longer have a past. If any man be in Christ, he is a new. Let me ask you a question. This new outfit that you've seen at the mall, has it been worn? It's completely new. Okay, you are new. This life you're living, you've never lived before. When you got baptized, when you went down in the grave, the Lord held down the old garment. You guys know this. Okay. So man is a spirit, has a soul, lives in the physical body. Uh, Ecclesiastes 12.7, 12, 12.9 12, says, And the dirt, your body, will return back to the earth from which it came, and your spirit back to God who gave it. Romans 816, the spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. So the point is, your spirit. A funeral is you looking at dirt because the person is gone. Right? Okay. Your experience with God was a spiritual one. He took away this old spirit that was in you. You are a spirit. He took out this other nature that was in you and put a new one there. Okay, can, I'm going to show you this real quick. Can I have one more water, uh, water bottle? Thank you so much. And then I need a cup, just a, a cup I can use. Are you still drinking that? Are you sure? Okay, thank you. Perfect. Okay. When God said, Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. I'm going to run you through something really quick. You got notes? Take this. Okay. So Isaiah 43 and 7 tells you why you're created, it gives you your purpose. People ask me all the time, What's my purpose? I can give you your purpose very quickly. The question isn't your purpose. It's your calling that you're really asking about. What am I called to? Okay, that's my daughter. <laughs> I knew it was her. I heard the ABC, sorry. <laughs> A B C. Sorry. Hey,
1: is, is eleven. She's learning.
0: she's learning. She's learning. My message is boring to her, so she went to YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Take that old garment. Oh, it's good. All right. So, so what was I saying? Okay. Thank you. Isaiah 43 and. Oh, 43 and 7. Write this down. It tells you your purpose. It tells you why God created you. It makes it super simple. God created you for his glory. To all who are called by my name, who have I created for my glory. So you're actually created for the glory of God. Glory just means to make something known. Show me what something looks like, right? Okay. Um, Romans 6 says that Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of God. Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of God. Now watch this. Man was created for God's what? Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of God. So I'm like, hmm, what is this glory of God? Paul said, let me talk more in detail. Romans 8, he says, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. So what is he saying? The Holy Spirit is the glory of God. Man was created for the glory of God. So you were created for the Holy Spirit. Yes. Amen? So you were created. It's what Dan always says this. You are a house built for a king. You're prime real estate for God. Because your very existence was to house the Holy Spirit. So when God made man... You have a human spirit, your spirit, who you are, your own personality. Your soul lives in your spirit. It's really your soul is the personality of your spirit, okay? Your spirit would be the shell, and in the shell is a soul, and that's really who you are. So when God created us, you have a human spirit and the key ingredient, the glory of God, Holy Spirit. So he said, let us make man. It's the combination of the two, it's the first picture of a marriage, the two being one. So man is really a human spirit and Holy Spirit being one. That's what a man is. A man that does not have the Holy Spirit is a perversion. That's not what God created. So when you actually say the term man, you have to identify post or pre fall Are we talking about the man that God created? Because if so, that's the one that has the Holy Spirit there. Or are we talking about fallen man is the term that we use. That's the one that does not have the Holy Spirit. Are you guys with me? So everything Jesus did, you know this, he brought things back. He redeemed, he restored, he renewed. What does that mean? He brought us back to being a man. He brought us back to being normal. This is why he filled you with the Spirit. So, 1 Corinthians 6 17, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Are you guys with me so far? Okay. So, when you get over in the new covenant, the new agreement with God, it's not about letters, it's not about a doctrine. It's not about Ten Commandments. Everything changed. The Lord has restored us to having his spirit in us. So everything now becomes about us being led by the spirit because that's why you were created. It's normal. It's organic. You don't have to fight to hear God. He's there in your conscience. You guys are one. One. And this is why Acts 1 and 8 tells us to wait until you endure with power from on high, and then you can go be a what? A witness. Now, anybody looked at the word witness? It means a martyr. It doesn't mean so you just, like, go around and say, hey, Jesus loves you. That's evangelizing. He said you're going to be a witness. Witness means martyr, which means that, listen, I'm so consumed by this that my life and its death would testify like his. Okay, do you know the value of your death now? Do you know that as a Christian, if you were to give your life, do you understand the harvest that comes from your life? You got to get this, because this is why we don't fear death. First of all, in our covenant, you can never, ever again... Be separated from God. So you're never, ever going to be apart from him. So no one can fear you with the threat of you going to heaven. What do we love? The presence of God. Let's get into his presence. So you're going to threaten me with his presence. (laughs) Now, think about God's history and his wisdom. This is what he said. He said, you know what? This is what I'm going to do, because I know the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? So what I'm going to do, I'm going to put a plan in place. So when I make him a witness, him a witness, her a witness, I'm going to allow their death, their martyr, to be a witness. So I'm going to shadow this in the Old Covenant. So Cain kills his brother. His brother's blood falls on the ground where Cain was working at. He was a tiller of the ground, right? So Cain tilled the ground. His brother's blood is on the ground that has all of Cain's works. Everything that Cain done, his works, his toil, he's supposed to reap from, right? But his brother's blood, who he killed, he was the first martyr, He killed his brother. Now his brother's blood is on the ground where Cain worked. You know what God said to Cain? He said, because you have done this, and your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground, this area that you sow seed in will not produce a harvest. What is God saying? Because you killed a righteous man, and his blood is speaking out, What you did won't produce a harvest because of his blood. He was shadowing Jesus. That because Jesus' blood was shed, what you did, the lying, the stealing, the deceiving, won't produce a harvest because his blood is covering it. Hold on. That's just one. It's a consistent pattern. Matthew twenty-five or Matthew twenty-seven twenty-five, they're getting ready to just kill Jesus, and the people yell this out because the man came out. Governor said, "Hey, I'm free of this innocent blood. I don't want to be a part of this. I don't want his blood on my hand. That's a bad decision, actually. You need his blood on you." He says, "He washed his hands." This is what the people yelled out: twenty-seven twenty-five. Let his blood be on us and our children. Now, think about this. These are people that are killing Jesus. And they yell out, let his blood be on us and our children. Do you know the first people who got saved? Acts 2 were the ones that killed Jesus. What did God do when they martyred this man? He allowed his blood. They come on them, and their children covered their sins. Got another one for you. So there's this man that's persecuting the church, killing the church, going into the houses, taking people captive. And all of a sudden they want to honor this man by killing someone, killing a Christian. So they grabbed this dude. His name was Stephen, and they brought him open in an open square. And Stephen began to reveal to them how they always been stiff-necked and they always resisted the Holy Ghost. And they, got, they just started to gnash their teeth. They got mad, and they, was, they were they, they was just in grit. So they picked up stones and started stoning Stephen, Start hitting Stephen with these stones. Stephen yells out, Lord, do not charge them for their sins. He fell dead. They took the clothes of Stephen to honor Saul with this man's death and laid it at the feet of Saul. Guess who was the next person to get saved? Saul. It's dangerous killing us. (laughs) Because we'll speak on behalf of others. So if you go that way, just know the person that's taking your life may be saved a week later a month later, a year later. That's a part of our covenant. Your death is not in vain. Amen? Amen. I want to how much time I have. I want to know how much time I lost. Oh. Oh. Revival just broke out. I hope you brought your pillow. like this. Okay, so there's, there's, there's a, just a few things I want to just... <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> You'll have to pay for that. i have to pay for that. Right, right, right. Okay, cool beans. I see the clock. All right, so let's jump back in this. Is that okay? Yeah. Are we good? Yeah. Okay, so do you see the value of your life? Yeah. Like, okay, so I want to pick back up where we left off. The outfit was torn. And Jesus said, if you try to take what God is doing now with me and put me on Moses you will make the tear worse. So a lot of people, frustration with God isn't God's fault. You're trying to mix him with something old. I'm picking up at verse uh, 17. Nor do they put new wine into old wine skin. Or else the wine break, and the wine is spilled, and the wine skins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wine skins, and both are preserved. Watch this. He says, now if you take old wine or new wine and try to put it into old wine skins, the wine isn't ruined. The wine isn't destroyed. The wineskin is. Now, what's the role of a wineskin? It's a bottle. It's designed to hold water. That's why it's created. That's its purpose, to hold water. So he said, if you try to mix what I'm doing with the O, the wineskin would be ruined. Or the purpose in which I made it, it won't be able to accomplish. That if you try to mix what God is doing now with what he did before, you can't fulfill the purpose in why he's created you. And why did God create you? For his. So you can't even produce the glory of God. That mentality will war against the Holy Spirit in your own heart. And he can't flow through something old. And I'm just going to close with this. Here's why. The new covenant is the only covenant that Satan is defeated in. So if you try to deal with God or the devil in the old covenant, you're dealing in a covenant where he still has the victory. He wasn't defeated in Moses' covenant. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? So Jesus moved his apostles into fasting afterwards. Because in the fast that we do, the way that we fast, we're not praying for God to come in. We're fasting to let God out. We're fasting to remove unbelief in order to release the glory of God from within us out into everyday life. But I'm not praying for God to come in. I'm not even praying for God to render heavens because He's torned with Jesus. And in Ephesians 4, Hebrews 4, when he ascended, the Bible said, he filled every rim with his presence. So now I'm not dealing with Daniel, what Daniel was dealing with, with 21 days that was spirits withstanding the angels and not allowing his prayers to come through. The Lord's removed that now, put the kingdom of heaven in me and said that it's here. So I have to go through that tension. So I'm not even praying the same way like Daniel. I'm not doing the 21 day fast like Daniel for that reason. I may fast 21 days, but it's not like Daniel. It's not like Moses. Why? Because their garment was damaged. And if I try that, I'll destroy my wine skins. So I can't even approach God that way. So the fast that you and I do now, we fast in and through the finished work of Jesus. You don't even do the fast that Jesus did because Jesus' fast was before his finished works. So there was still a veil for us. The veil had not been torn yet. So you can't even fast like Jesus did. That's why he didn't even allow his his disciples to fast. So after Jesus raised from the dead, he says, all authority is given unto me. The veil has been ripped. You got the spirit of God in you. Now you go from what I've accomplished. So you don't have to go through all the toil and all that stuff like they did. It's different. Your fast is from all authority. They pray to receive authority. You in a brand new covenant where Satan is defeated. So what he wars against now, Amen. this is why this, 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 this series is so important for you. Because what he wars against now is your understanding of the covenant with God. This is why when people sin in the epistles, all Paul did was remind them of who they are and what they had with God. Because he knew the answer was in truth. And not laws and legalism. Amen? Hey, man, you want to stand on your feet? I'm going to turn it over to you for the communion. So I just want to do something simple, really quick. I'm going to pass it over to pastor. If you could just put your hand on your heart, what activates the covenant is faith. I said faith. So right now, I just want to pray in faith. I want to pray in confidence and according to what God has established or given us. That's all. I'm going to pray a covenant prayer right now with you. Lord, you said anything that we ask in your name, you would do it. You bind yourself to that. Father, I ask that you would give unto my brothers and sisters right now the spirit of wisdom, and of revelation in the knowledge of you, God, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened and that we may know what is the hope of your calling, what is the riches of your glory, of the inheritance you've placed in us, the saints. And God, reveal to us what's the greatness of your power that you worked in Christ when you raised him from the dead and sat him at your right hand in heavenly places. Father, I thank you that each and every individual that's in this room, you've made a covenant with them. And you will never break your covenant. Even if they don't own their end and we don't live up to our portion, it won't change you. Thank you for newness. Thank you that you've removed the old garment for us. We have on a new garment. You've clothed us with righteousness. Thank you, Lord, that we just say yes to everything that you've accomplished for us. I thank you that guilt and condemnation is never our portion. We will never even embrace that way of thinking. Righteousness is who we are. Thank you, God, that when we look in the mirror, when we close our eyes, when we envision ourselves by faith, All we see is the radiance, the presence of you all over us and oil dripping off of us, God. Thank you that we see ourselves with a sword in our hands and a shield in our hands and a breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of salvation and our feet are shown with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Our loins are girded about with truth. Thank you that we say yes, God. We're not even thinking about going to heaven. Heaven has come into us. Thank you that all authority and power is given to us. And the words that we speak, they bring life to people, they release your spirit. Thank you that today, people that are in darkness will see the light because the glory of God has come to Chicago. The glory of God has come into the house. The glory of God will enter and work tomorrow. The glory is the spirit, and we will create it for your glory, create it for your image, and that's who we are. We say no to any other identity. We say no to any other likeness. Thank you that we lay our hands on a sick God, and they recover. We are the finished works of Jesus. And that's all we embrace and that's all we say yes to. And thank you for easy words of knowledge. Anything that opposes that is a word of knowledge that we're to resist. We thank you for righteousness. We're the generation that believes and that lives in covenant. That's who we are. We're the people that said yes to the gospel. Yes to your will yes to your way yeah. and we love you and celebrate this today we honor your blood we honor your body what gives us this covenant
1: in jesus name Amen. stay right here i just want to say thank you for taking your time uh for for 18 months i've been tilling your ground in god's people and i hope I'm excited for all of you, but for 18 months it's been tilling and tilling. And I remember year or year one. There's this phrase that we use, and I mentioned to you relational before functional. I think you helped us understand that a bit deeper today. But it was my people are still going back to the mixture because we all do it. We all go back to this transactional way of if I do this, God, you'll do this, right? And if I serve you, you'll bless me. And if I give, you're going to do this, and 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 we mix it. And you're catching it. I get to meet with many of you one-on-one, and you're catching the heart of this. You're understanding what this is really all about. And I just talked with Jason Summers yesterday, and he's like, man, I'm, I'm this is easy now. I'm free. I'm, I'm, I'm resting. <laughs> like, I realize it's, it's, I'm not waking up trying to earn something, and now I'm not fasting to get something. I'm fasting to release something. And now wherever you go, the glory of God goes in the Spirit. I mean, that's why you were created to house the Holy Spirit. How amazing is that? Amen. And so when you come up this morning, we're gonna sing one more song, and when you come up this morning to receive the body and the blood of the Lord, come up, ladies, and just receive your new dress and shoes. And, and, and men, come up and receive your new Tesla or your Lamborghini because, and what I mean by that is it's a receiving thing, it's yours, it's like you have to put on the new man, you have to put on Christ. But you have to receive it first. And you have to go, I'm worthy of this. I deserve this because of what Jesus has done for me. And so freely do that as we come up. I'm going to ask Byron and Mike to come up. And they're going to issue the elements and pass them out. But thank you very much for your heart. Thank you for your ministry.